you guys sense that real momentum in the spirit as we were singing the declaration of the God who still heals, who still raises up, who still resurrects, who still saves and forgives, amen? That's what he's still doing. He didn't change his job, amen? He just enlisted more workers when he rose and ascended. How many believe that Jesus' ministry is still happening today? Today. Grab your Bibles or your smartphone, your iPad. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter's right at the end of your Bible. It's just way back here. My page number is 11. Whoa, it's 1111. 1111. I don't know what page it's in your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4. Once you're there, can you say amen? amen? You can Google it if you don't have a Bible app. Uversion's a great app. Takarta is a great app. Olive Tree Bible Study is a great app. There's just so many great apps, so many great resources to get the word in us, amen, and to get the word flowing through us. So, 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's pray and just ask God to help the pastor and the people for him to communicate what he wants to get across today. Pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, Father, thank you for being a communicator. Jesus, thank you for being the living word. Holy Spirit, Thank you for being our teacher. Open my ears, open my heart, ready my hands to obey with all that I am, what you would say right here and right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 4. The title of the talk today is Living in Light of the Day Today. Say that with me. Living in Light of the Day Today. Does everyone understand what I mean by the day, the day of the Lord, when the Bible, the return of Christ, when He comes and the new Jerusalem comes with them, and the saints of old, the dead in Christ, rise. The, those who are living welcome the Lord as a holy entourage to rule and to reign on a renewed earth. How many are so excited about the day? And Peter, like Jesus, who discipled him, and like Paul, and like John, Unlike many of our theologies of the day, we think most of the time through the lens of escape. But when they thought of the day, it empowered them to lean harder into the implications for the gospel for their life. They didn't look to the day as a day that 
somehow they could bury their talent and just try to hunker down and make it. No, that day motivated, shaped, and sustained them every day as they were paying real and tangible costs to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, beloved, not as a doomsday prophet, there are many who are already paying a cost for following Jesus. We just prayed for the Middle East. There are many in our own country, in their workplaces, for holding to a historic, orthodox Christian confession and belief who are paying a price. And you and I cannot afford to not be aware that the day of the Lord is coming. And in light of His coming, God is releasing fresh grace. Everybody say, fresh grace to live wholeheartedly for Jesus today. Peter has already encouraged the church. I give a little summary of what we've come before us. The church that has been rescued from sin, the chosen and cherished people of God, the holy nation, the royal priesthood, the peculiar people who belong to the Father, these people who've been rescued and claimed as God's own people, the very next words in our stop through the letter of 1 Peter is verse 7. So can we stand one more time in honor of God's precious, unshakable, eternal word? Let's stand, starting in verse 7. I will read, and then we'll just make some work as we walk through these five verses. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you, who? Should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, say that again with me, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. It's amazing. The end of all things is near. What would you say if you had a sentence after that alarming, jarring exhortation? The end is near, so... Wait, just help me. Go. Run. Hide. Run for the hills. What would you do? I mean, repent. Thank you. Get ready. 
Be watchful, eat, drink, and be merry. Some, for sure. Well, I only got a few at its end is near, live like I want. Great. And all of these are actually biblical things that people, <laughs> these are options. Peter has a better option. The end is near. What end? When King Jesus, the crucified, dead and buried, resurrected, ascended, reigning at the right hand and soon coming king, the end is near when God, Acts 17, 31, 30 and 31, by raising Jesus, he made them, he showed all creation that he is the sole and sufficient savior, king and judge that is coming to bring forth his judgments when he returns. The first time he came, Hebrews 9 tells us, he came to bear our sins. And aren't you thankful for his first appearing? How many in the house are thankful for the cross? Hebrews 9 goes on to say that the second time he comes, he's not coming to bear sin. He already did it. He's coming to bring salvation. And so when we think about the end, we have to understand the end what theologians and Bible students call eschatology. Say that fancy word, eschatology. The last things, the study of the end. And we have to understand that the Christian hope is not a disembodied future playing harps on fluffy clouds with halos. Praise God, that would be so boring eventually. The Christian hope is bodily resurrection from the dead to reign and to rule with King Jesus on a renewed earth called the New Jerusalem, a city prepared for God and his people for all eternity. An embodied, beautiful, this life on infinite steroids, a resurrected, glorified body and future to reign and to rule with Jesus Christ. This is the Christian hope, eternity with God, God's dwelling with people forever. That's the end Peter's talking about, the end that is our anchor that holds us through whatever storm, that the, the anchor that Jesus said in, in John eleven twenty five 25 through 6, that even though you die, if you're in faith, by the way, Peter just preached it in verse 5 and 6, even though you die in the body because our flesh is destined to die from dust you are to dust you return, but because you're a believer and you've experienced the John 5, 24 promise of from death to life because you heard his voice and you responded in repentance and faith and love and you gave Jesus your allegiance, even though your body dies, you're alive in the spirit with the Lord until the resurrection. And your, res your spirit reunites with a glorified, how many are looking forward to a new body? Can I get an amen? A resurrected, glorified body to reign and to rule with Jesus. This is our Christian hope. And so the day of the Lord is two things. I love this. I, I, I wrote this down. It's a day of reckoning. Say reckoning. For some, the day of the Lord is not going to be a good day. Right? In, in, his, in his pride, the wicked says, there's, there's uh, Psalm 14, in his pride, the wicked, there's no room for the God in his thoughts. That's a rude awakening when King Jesus comes and they're like, oh boy, we, we mistook that one. So how many believe the day of the Lord is going to be a day of reckoning for all of us, but especially for those who've rejected the Lord? Amen? 
And the day of the Lord is also, it starts with an R, reckoning and restoration. He's going to make all things new. I'm happy about that. The end is sure. It is coming. It's been coming, by the way. The way you read your Bible is the present evil age and the age to come. The resurrection split history and brought God's future, and it found its locus or its centerpiece in the resurrection of Jesus. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the first fruits, the first of many sons and daughters who will experience glory at the level Jesus Christ experienced when his father raised him up and gave him a new body. And so God's future, we're a future people. N.T. Wright, the great theologian, says that our life together, by the way, the life that Peter just gave us, it's pretty good. We're going to walk through it really quick. That life in the Spirit together is supposed to be, N.T. Wright, his thought, it's like a movie trailer of the feature film that's coming. Come on, who's seen, who's seen a movie trailer like, I want to see that movie? Come on, everyone in the room, or a show, or whatever, I don't know, a, a, a sporting event, or everyone understand what I'm saying? And so, because we have the Spirit, and the Spirit, when God poured out the Spirit, and when Jesus was raised from the dead, the age to come broke into the present, and so we live as a now and not yet people, but he's done so much now by his spirit, we're to lean in. I, here's, here's, my, here's what I always say. I would rather be accused when I see Jesus, I don't really want to be accused, but I would rather be faulted Jesus to go, Chad, and it's like the song we sang, oh, you just believe too much in what Chad, you had too much faith to believe that I wanted to do now in and through your obedience and faith, then I'd rather him say that to me, Chad, you believe too much was possible than for him to look at me and go, dude, you didn't believe that I wanted to do A through Z through your obedience. How many want to be accused of the f- former? <laughs> How many would rather him say, oh, you, oh, you were so cute. You just believed so much that I wanted to do. Because there are streams of theology that reserve so much for the not yet, for the future, and we never pray for the sick. We don't mobilize for evangelism and mission because God's got it all figured out. I would way rather say, yes, God is the sovereign of history, but he has sovereignly chosen to use the willing submission of people who walk in obedience, who believe in faith, that God still raises the dead and does the impossible. How many of you want to join me in that that endeavor to walk on that path, to live in light of the end. And I love this. The end of all things is near. Run for the hills. Live like you want. All these things you already shared. Peter says, be alert, sober-minded, so that you may pray. Light of the end, double down on prayer. This is interesting. Is this interesting to anybody else? And isn't it interesting that of all people... To talk about being awake and alert and clear-minded in prayer, how many would say Peter learned the hard way? Can we rewind to Matthew chapter 26 in the garden? Could you guys not stay awake for an hour? How many know our own failures, even our own zeal, we're with you even if all deny you. Remember Peter, even I'll never fall away. How many are so thankful that because of God's 
commitment to playing the long game of our sanctification and transformation. He sees our zeal as innocent as it is. How many are so thankful for the guy who fell asleep in the gravest hour of history is now able to write to churches, don't make the mistake I did, stay awake in prayer. Same guy, you guys, Peter, the the rock, who fell asleep. He's now writing these churches he's helping oversee in modern-day Turkey. Stay awake. Stay awake so that you can pray. Stay awake. Be alert. If you read your Bibles again, it says be alert. Uh, this, the, the implication is here, don't be sluggish, sleepy, distracted, or dismayed. Am I talking to anyone today? Sober-minded, which is to say don't be intoxicated by the spirit of the age. Don't be that Matthew 11 reed that's swayed by the cultural headwinds every which way. Be alert and sober-minded. Here's my language. Keep your heart and mind turned on. Everyone say turned on and tuned in. I like that. That's helpful. It's catchy. I, I loved it when it came. The end is near. Keep it on. Say turned on and tuned in. That's alert and sober-minded. It's turned on and it's tuned in. And how many would say, Chatty, right there, even if we landed the plane, man, I struggle with that. Can anyone bear witness in the room? I struggle with keeping my mind on and engaged. And I certainly struggle keeping it tuned in to the only voice that matters. Can I talk to someone today? And Peter's saying, in light of the end, we cannot afford to let the guard down here. How many believe that every believer, 1 Corinthians 2.16, has been given the mind of Christ? But like every single gift God gives us, he gives it to us as a sheer gift, but he's looking for, starts with an S, ends with an stewardship. Stewardship. Help me out. So if, I, if I'm given the gift of the mind of Christ, if I'm born of the Spirit, John 3, 3 through 7, I'm a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? The old is gone, the new has come, and I have the mind of Christ as a gift. Guess what? He wants us to cultivate that thing so that what is a gift now becomes the operational reality that we live out of. But how many know that takes work? It kind of takes being alert and sober-minded, Turned on and tuned in. How many ever do this when it gets tough? You just want to check out. You just want to turn it off. I don't want to stay engaged. It's hard. I just want to self-medicate. I just want to eat more. I just want to watch more. I just want to more and more. But how many believe that in light of the end, we have to be on and tuned in to what the Spirit is saying? Amen. So that in all the voices, and they're being released on the earth, all of the different things that are vying for your affection, your attention, and your allegiance, three A's, your affection, what you love, your attention, what you focus on, your allegiance, what you're trusting in. Those three A's. Every voice is going, put your faith in me. Use your desire on me. Pay attention here. Peter's saying the end is near. Be turned on and tuned in so that you can pray. Prayer is the place where we're connected, we experience communion with, and conversation with the Lord who is driving history forward. And prayer, by the way, is the one thing, everyone say one thing, 
I, I, I'll give you these notes. I'll email when we send the email this week. Prayer is the one thing we're commanded to do without ceasing for all people in every circumstance and to never give up doing. There's references for all of those. Without ceasing for all people in every circumstance and never giving up. Why? Because prayer is the means through which we grow and cultivate relationship with and partnership with the Lord. And the reason prayer is the first exhortation, if you look, he has several exhortations here. Hospitality, using your gifts, loving each other, speaking the words of God, serving. But I love prayer is first. Why? Because prayer hooks up to the source that we're going to need if we're going to not just go vertical, but horizontal. In other words, many of us wish we could just hang out with Jesus all day and not have to deal with people. The amens are over here. Is there any honesty from this side of the room? <laughs> okay, a few. He's saying be turned on and tuned in so that you can pray, so you can be connected, communing with, conversing with, responding, receiving. Why? Because out of this place, now I'm going to call you to love each other deeply. And the only time, the only time in Luke's gospel, the disciples asked for more faith, the only time, was when Peter thought he was being super spiritual. Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Like seven times? I think the rabbinical threshold was three. So Peter genuinely thought he was being spiritual. Jesus is like, nah, seven times 70. And all the disciples are like, Lord, Increase our faith. We can't love like, come on, guys. We cannot love agape cross-shaped love without the king ruling and reigning through the lens and the, the vehicle of prayer and participation in his spirit. There's no way we can keep on loving one another deeply. Why is that important? Because by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love each other. Not any old way, but the way I've loved you, it goes on to say in John 13, 34, and 5. Not, you know, wishy-washy, and when it's going good, we're all good, we love each other, but the love that is tenacious, that's covenantal, that doesn't flee or hide or retaliate, but doubles down and says, darn it, you are the means that God has given me to the end of me growing in holiness and love, so thanks for making it hard for me to do it, but I love you. I forgive you. The end is near. You're going to need resources. That's what Peter's saying. So pray. Turned on and tuned in. And then he goes next. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I love there's several different thoughts here, what it, theologically and, and commentaries and whatever. My favorite is it's a love that's deep and constant. Say that with me. A love that's deep and constant. This kind of love is a love that's committed to reconciliation, forgiveness. Re come on. Reconciliation, forgiveness. When this becomes the love that covers us, how many believe we're not turning a blind eye to sin or to the brokenness in our brother or sister. We're just playing the long game that they, like us, are a work in progress. So they're going to need my forgiveness, his forgiveness, just like I'm going to need their forgiveness and his forgiveness if we're going to make it to the end together. 
This is the love that covers. Guys, this is a love that is otherworldly, that's rooted in God. With God, there is mercy and forgiveness. Psalm 130, verse 3 through 4. Therefore, we fear and revere you, because who is a God like you that forgives sins? So he's saying, the end is near, turned on, tuned in, so that you can pray, so you can partner with me and participate with me. I love, out of prayer, since we're hooked up to, to the source, love each other with that kind of love. How many need to be hooked up to a source because of the people in your life God's calling you to sacrificially love and serve? That would be all of us. What does he go, where does he go next? I love that I have a table here because this is the perfect way to describe it. The end of all things is near. Be turned on, tuned in so that you can pray. Love each other deeply. And I picture the whole next exhortation with believers around a table. Because what happens next? We're committed to prayer, love and reconciliation and forgiveness that conquers sin, that, that plays the long game, that covers us. God's love. And then he's like, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's almost like prayer sets the table. Love and hospitality invite people to sit down. And I'm telling you, the church, we don't have some fancy strategy in 2021. It's like old school, ancient stuff, like hospitality. Opening our homes and our hearts to the stranger, to the neighbor, to the colleague at work, to the coworker. I mean, we're back there, folks. That culture out there is the most overly, uh, this culture, our culture. We've never been more entertained, stimulated, stimuli with thoughts and information at our fingertips. The thing that has always been the thing that the church is rediscovering in our day is the centrality of hospitality for the mission and purpose of God to break through the earth. Setting a table and inviting people to have a seat. Many believe that. that this is the, listen, the, the, the point of this is the end is near. So any theology or eschatology that makes you want to isolate in a corner is not biblical eschatology. A vision of the true end and the believer's hope means I'm going to set the table, invite everyone to the party, Luke 14, because the Father wants his house filled. And as we're praying and he's changing us in the place of prayer, we love each other. We're forgiving and being forgiven. We're committed to the long game of reconciliation. It's a deep, constant, and consistent love. It's not a flash in a pan. It's a love that looks like a cross. And out of that, we begin to offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Come on, everybody say, without grumbling. Any grumblers in the house besides me? Yes, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I just view the whole thing as a sequence. Prayer hooks us up. Love makes the table possible. And out of that hospitality, how many have been genuinely marked by the hospitality of someone else in your life? Raise your hand. 
because of their kindness, their warmth, their welcome, the, fa- the fact that they thought of you, that they invited you in. How many believe you and I have been recipients of the most epic kind of hospitality? God the Father, Son, and Spirit, invite us in. Welcome us. They've made a place at the table with our name on it. As we've received the hospitality and welcome, picture Jesus' arms stretched out on the cross, the welcome of God. He's saying, let that same posture become your primary mode of operation. Welcome others. Make room at your table. And then look, I love this. Is, it just goes, I'm just going to skip that page. You're almost there. I already got there. We're good. Ooh, next part. Man, we're, I'm almost, whew, we skipped a bunch of pages right there, folks. Say amen. You're kidding. Stop it. Where does he go next? You're all connected. You're turned on and tuned in. You're loving, committed to forgiveness and reconciliation. You're offering hospitality to each other. You're not grumbling, so you're doing it with a cheerful heart because there was a God who did his offer of hospitality with a cheerful heart. Out of that, the table has been set for what? 1 Peter 4.10. Now, at the table, defer to one really, really gifted person, and all of you bury your time, treasure, and talent. Now that you're at the table, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Do you see the vision of the table? This is end time strategy stuff. Open your homes and your hearts. Be committed to prayer, committed to love and forgiveness. Offer hospitality. And when they come to your table, know that God has planted gifts and grace in every single one of his image-bearing children. They have gifts. They have talents. They have passions. They have gifts. They have grace on their life. And what if at the table it wasn't so much about who's going to get their word across or their gift seen, but it was like, oh, my word, you are so cool in God. He's given you so many neat gifts. Did you know every person in this room is insanely gifted and graced by Jesus? When he ascended on high, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9, it says he dispersed gifts to his people. Now that the table's set and we're not grumbling, we're loving, hooked up to prayer, at that table, guess what? You have permission to discover, develop, And then use the gifts God gave you, not to build your platform, but to build his. How many believe and are aware that God has given you gifts? God has given you grace. And here's the deal. I want to say, I beseech you as your pastor, do not bury your gift. Don't bury it. Don't say, well, because I don't have his gift or hers gift, my gift doesn't matter. In the name of Jesus, cancel that lie. Here's why. Look what he says. He goes on to say, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You know what happens if you bury your gift? I miss out on some of the glory of God. In the Bible, I just quote, it's in there. The reason we need you And we want you at the table, literally and metaphorically, 
is because when you are activated in grace and when you step up at that table and you just offer your gift to other people, as vulnerable and humbling as that may feel, when you do that, God shows me a dynamic of his grace and goodness and glory that I would not have seen otherwise. Oh, it's so good. For all of us, you think, well, my gift's not that great. 1 Corinthians 12 is for you, brother or sister. Those that feel the least dignified or glory actually, from God's perspective, get the most glory. I'm not that useful. I don't have a this gift or that gift. Bring your gift. You're at the table. You are a son or daughter. You are royalty. You are chosen and cherished. So put yourself at the table. Say yes and amen to releasing God's gift and grace on your life. And when you do that, guess what happens at that table? God's glory. It's like when you look at the light and you see different refractals of color. That's the exact picture here. When, when the light of his presence fills the church and the church, the body, the family of believers, that's what Peter calls them. When we're all using and saying yes and amen, I am, I am significant, I am powerful, I have something to offer, not for me, but for them. And when that happens, the, a new fractal of light and glory gets out. How many want to step in? How many would say, I don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. I want to go in. And then he goes on and he kind of separates two main types of gifts. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the stink God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ and be glory and power forever and ever. And so we speak the words of God. We serve with his strength. Friends, this is end time strategy. All those things that I, I coaxed you in saying, what, what, if you heard the end is near, buy water and storm shelters or whatever. <laughs> Come on, everyone did that in, in Y2K. Everyone did. Don't lie to me. How many need a fresh baptism of sanctified imagination that if the end is coming, and it is, then I need to double down on what Jesus says is an end-time strategy through his servant Peter. It's not time to evacuate or escape or look for the easy, Staples easy button. It's to say yes and amen to prayer. Yes and amen to sober and clear thinking turned on and tuned in. Yes and amen to robust agape love community where we play the long game. We don't run when it gets tough. We double down. We forgive. We, re we repent. We forgive. We repent. It's deep. It's constant and consistent. We offer hospitality. We make room at the table. At that table, we step in and take a risk and use our gift, even when it's like messy and we're not that great yet. We use it nonetheless because when we do it, it's not about the performance. It's about the availability of the vessel that God's grace is flowing through. And when that happens, I see something of him that I would not have otherwise seen. And he's like, and when, when you're at the, t and when you guys are speaking, lean in, you might just be hearing God speak. Speak, do it as if God's speaking through you. That does not mean domineering, thus says the Lord. That's not what Peter's saying. He places such a high value when God's spirit-filled people are together that Jesus Christ is in the midst of them. 
So when we speak, we're not just offering opinions about the weather and the chiefs and why are they one and two. I don't know why they're one and two. Words. God's words to each other. Guess where God's words are? We serve. We don't just run around chasing our tails, trying to be busy with everything. We serve with his strength. Every part of the family matters. Say that with me. Every part of the family matters. I love 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. God has placed every part of his body just as he wanted them to be placed. So everyone take a deep breath. God has placed me where he wants me. You know what that does? It takes off all comparison, complaining, competition, when we understand that God has placed us in his family and body for a purpose that he designed us for, that frees us from the tyranny of wondering our whole life, well, why am I not like so-and-so or such-and-such? Come on, how many need that thing broken off their life? Competition, comparison. How many, just don't be shy, raise your hand, you say, I, do I believe the word or not? I want to believe it, God. In summary, prayer, love, hospitality, serving and stewarding God's grace, speaking God's word, and serving through his strength. Why do we do this? Verse 12, I'll say it again. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. What if, what, if, what if in our addiction to the big, the bright, and the beautiful, we've missed the primary ways God wants to glorify his son, which is around tables, common, but chosen, cherished, royal, Holy Spirit-filled people? What if that was the way God wanted to bring ultimate glory through his son, Jesus Christ? And we all said amen. Because if that's the way, then guess what? All of us get to play. Come on, somebody, say amen. If it's only through the big, brilliant, bright, and beautiful, it's for a very, very small select few. But if it's for common, chosen, cherished, royal, spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered people, then every single person gets in on the action of glorifying God through Jesus Christ. Every part matters, every person matters, every member matters because you are purposely designed, placed, and positioned for God's glory and for our good. That Jesus is praised. How many today, as I land the plane here, would just say, Chatty, I... I got to go back to like the first part of the verse. My mind is cloudy. I need healing in my brain. It's not been alert and sober. It's been hijacked by the plans and schemes of the enemy, by the lies, the accusers, those three A's you said earlier. Man, Chatty, I need God to just, Hebrews 10 talks about the cleansing of our conscience. 
that's you, can you just stand? I'm going to do rapid fire ministry just really quick. You just say, I want ministry in my mind right now. We're just going to do rapid fire. Father, in the name of Jesus, for those who are standing, I pray on the authority of your word. The Bible says we're to be renewed in our mind. The Bible says that we have been recipients of the mind of Christ, but Lord, you're calling us to steward the mind of Christ. And so in the name of Jesus, would you loose healing and cleansing over the minds of those standing in this room right now? God, I pray that you would break the the lie and the, the voice of the accuser, the one who wants to keep us bound in cycles of defeat and discouragement and depression. Lord, I pray clarity and cleansing in the mind of our church. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Now, how about this? You say, Chatty. And this is like every believer. My prayer life stinks. The only time I pray, and it's only like three out of seven dinners, but I don't really know how to have a conversation with God. I don't know how to have a relationship. And you would just say, Chad, I want to grow in prayer. I want to grow in that abiding relationship. Bible open, journal ready, pen in hand, heart open. Come, Jesus, speak. As I love this scenario. The Bible, the journal the coffee, come on, come on, the tea, whatever it is. If you'd say, Chatty, I want to give the first parts of my day to make sure that every day my mind is turned on and tuned in. Can I just pray a blessing over you right now? If that's you, stand up on your feet. Again, I said rapid fire ministry. I want a fresh baptism of of determination and agreement with the Spirit who wants to form Christ in you so bad. You're not begging God to want to transform your life. He, this, that's what the Spirit longs for, to see Jesus formed in you and in me. So just put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray right now for every friend standing in this room that they, we would grow together in prayer which just means relationship with you and partnership with you. Monday through Sunday, 24-7, 365. I pray, Lord, that we as a church would conquer the morning, that we would just give you the first fruits of our day, Bible open, journal ready, start with John's gospel, and we would just posture ourselves to be your lifelong student a friend, a disciple. So Lord, I pray for tangible grace into our church right now in the place of prayer. And I want everyone to stand in this last one. We have three objectives as a church right now. Number one, prayer. The prayer room's opening. We've been doing a lot more online altars. We're gonna do more in-person altars. This Wednesday night at 6.30, we have an altar right here. We're gonna do worship and prayer. Couple hours, just go for God, pray. Come if you love worship and prayer. This Wednesday night at 6.30, October 6th. We've got prayer, community groups. Visit our website. We want every person at someone's table. That's, I mean, as your pastor, that's every person at a table. We have groups that are ready to be launched. Reach out to us.
And then number three, I believe the next phase, as, as your pastor, I look forward, is this next part we're praying. <laughs> that you and I, would, and Pastor Andrew is the most passionate about this on the staff, that every person would understand the gift that they are and they would have permission to use it for God's glory. So right now, I just want to pray this prayer. Just say this with me. Jesus, thank you for the gifts and the grace that you've given me that are not for me, but for those around me. Those you've put in my life to love, to serve, and to speak your words to. So Holy Spirit, activate those gifts in me that the Father has given me to steward and to use for Jesus' glory. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a praise this morning? Put your hands out and receive this little blessing. I just want to bless you. What then shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No. In all of these things, say that with me. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, go in his love that conquers this week. I love you guys. We'll see you.